Thank you, Jack. Thank you, the team, for leading us, Nicola. Um, let's pray before we go further. Father God, we say thank you for the one who paid our debt and allowed us through that resurrection that we benefit from to be new people uh, for his glory. So we pray that as we come to your word this morning, Father, that you would teach us from it and that you would challenge us as we seek to live for his glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, everyone. It is my privilege this morning to start us into our new series, Character Under Construction. Um, uh, I have enjoyed uh, the last quite a number of weeks as we have worked our way through the book of Acts, um, and I know that uh, other folk ha have enjoyed that. Uh, maybe we were flagging a bit towards the end, um, but we've got a little series here, a short series, as we think of some topics under the broad heading of character under construction. Uh, my job is to start the series, and then I'll explain a little bit later on some of the other topics that we're going to be covering. Um, this morning, I want to think about what we're, uh, we're looking at under three broad headings. Whenever we're thinking of character under construction, I'm going to ask three questions. Firstly, what is it that's being built? Then, who's the builder? And then finally, what's the process? So uh, at least you know broadly the roadmap of, uh, of where we're going as we, as we look at that. I'm going to look at quite a number of scriptures along the way, some of which um, I'll put up on the screen and others that I will encourage you to, uh, to, to, to turn to. So firstly, what's being built? Well, it's probably pretty obvious. Christian character. Character is uh, something that we sort of instinctively know something about, but it probably does need defined what we're, we're thinking about. Because character can be a number of things. Um, in Scripture, even, it talks about people who were of noble character. And really, what was being referred to was their, their background, their nobility. Well, this morning, your background um, and your, your family history is not what's in focus. Um, we can have good character in the sense of good behavior, but as we're going to see and explore a little bit, behavior and the outward appearance is not all that matters. What we're talking about this morning is Christian character, the virtue of being Christ-like of what it is to be a Christian. So when we're thinking about character under construction, that's what we're thinking about, the character, the Christian character that is being built. The, the, the phrase that I want you to, to, to wrap this first section under is outward, inward, outward. What do I mean by that? Well, we're going to think a little bit about appearance. We're going to think a little bit about what's inside us. And we're going to think about how that drives conduct. So the outward. 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, a phrase that you might know of that Man looks at the appearance or the outward, but God looks at the heart. And this idea of the heart is something that is going to echo right through uh, what we look at this morning, and I suspect what we will look at over the next number of weeks. The Bible talks about the heart almost a thousand times, 
Um, uh, Jack, uh, whenever we were reading from uh, Philippians 4 earlier on, talked about the peace of God guarding our hearts. Well, what's that about? So it's not whenever the Bible is talking about the heart, it is not necessarily and rarely is the thing in there somewhere uh, that pumps and circulates blood around your body. When the Bible is talking about the heart, it's talking about our inward being, our mind, our strength, our soul. What makes us us? Whenever we, we talk about something of, you know, the desires of our heart, um, it's not that the, the, the pump in there has got particular desires. It's saying that our inner sense knows something. If you, whenever we were talking about loving you with all my, my heart, it's, again, not the pump that we're talking about. It is that sense of with all my being. And so as we look through um, a, a number of scriptures, you'll see this reference to heart. So man, we're inclined to, aren't we? Look at the, at the appearance, look at the outward, look at what we see, how things appear, how things present. But God looks beyond that. And God is interested in the character underneath it all, the basis of which we operate. Jesus himself lifted this idea in Matthew 23. He used an example whenever he was talking to the Pharisees, and we're, we're going to look a little bit more detail about one of his interactions with the Pharisees. But in, in the particular occasion in Matthew 23, he accused them and he said, see you lot, you're like whitewashed tombs. You've probably seen pictures in the Middle East of the idea of there can be, you know, quite uh, ornate tombs. Um, I was doing a bit of Googling, and um, in India, uh, there is a, an entire temple which is simply a graveyard. It looks amazing, an amazing piece of architecture, domes and turrets and all sorts of stuff. It looks stunning. What an amazing building. But inside, it's full of death. And Jesus was saying to these particular Pharisees, on the outside, you look great. Folks, this morning, you look great. But on the inside, the Pharisees were full of death. I hope that's not the case for us this morning. But God looks beyond how we present. And we're going to touch on the, the idea of hypocrisy. We know that word, don't we? Where the appearance shows something, but the reality of conduct and behavior and truth underneath it all is very far distant from it. I want you to turn, if you have a Bible, to Mark 7, and I want us to have a look at one of these interactions that Jesus had with the Pharisees. Um, the same incident is referred to in Matthew 15, almost identical wording. Um, we're going to look at the Mark 7, 1 to 23. I'm not going to read it all. I want to just dip in to various elements of it. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, don't worry. Uh, just listen as I, 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 I unpack the story of how Jesus interacts, and, and he addresses this idea of the outside and the inside. What was happening here is that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law approached Jesus and they had a challenge for him. 
They gathered round them, and basically what they had seen was that um, they'd seen the Pharisees, uh, the Pharisees had seen Jesus and his disciples, or his disciples, eating food without a ritual washing of their hands. It wasn't that it was bad hygiene, but it was a break of the tradition that was operating, that there would have been a ritual hand washing before um, the uh, food was eaten. Um, and what happened was that the, the, the disciples had come to the marketplace, they had eaten some food, and they had not gone through this ritual process. So in verse number five of Mark 7, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean hands? This was the accusation. Jesus quotes Scripture back to them. And in verse number 6, he quotes from Isaiah, and he says this. The, uh, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it's written. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts, their inward being, their, their true selves are far from me. Honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far away. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. And his accusation in verse number eight is, you have let the commands of God, <clears throat> pardon me, you have let go the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. And he goes into a, I was going to say a rant. I don't think uh, that, that's an appropriate term for, for, for Jesus, but it is a, a fairly aggressive approach to them. And, and he accuses them of a number of things, <clears throat> including some of their conduct. One of the things, whenever you, you see down at verse number 11, he, he says, you're supposed to honor your father and mother. Now, we know that command, don't we? we were, we've been thinking about the Ten Commandments, honor your father and mother. In the, in the culture of this day, that had particular implications. Um, I was about to say, I, I, I hope that some of the traditions uh, do carry through. It's basically where as you get old, your children have to look after you. Um, so when the, I'll maybe get Heather to send the recording of this onto my children in the hope that they choose a decent nursing home for me. Um, but the, the idea of uh, that, that uh, parents um, help their children as they grow through, but in the latter days, then the, the children were to care for their parents. And that was a particular financial obligation that, that, was, that was around in those days. Well, what these guys were doing, they were saying, well, yes, I know I have a financial obligation, um, but you see the money that I have set aside, well, I've actually dedicated that to God. So I'm sorry, I'm going to give that money um, to God, to the temple treasury. Hey, sorry, nothing left. Um, sorry, I can't look after you, Dad. Uh, it's all gone. And, well, is that sort of hard to criticize? Well, it's, the money's been given for a, a, a proper cause, but Jesus was saying, look, you're, 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 you're twisting things. You're almost, there's a, there, there's a double giving element. There's a, there's a sense of where if you're going to give to God, give to God, but that doesn't overtake your obligations that I have set out for you of how you're to live. It was almost their way of, in a sense, well, I, I, I can save that. I can, the bit that I'm supposed to use for my parents, 
I'll actually just dedicate away. And um, in a sense, one lot of money does two things, and they, you know, dad's going to have to starve. Jesus points at their behavior and says, what looks like good conduct, giving to God, can actually be something where you're conniving, you are, um, your, your, your heart is far from me. We find it easy to look at that sort of behavior and say, that's obviously wrong. But what about us? Are there times whenever we, even in our Christian conduct, are, are engaged in things that actually take from God? Um, let's use this same sort of example of the care of our family, where at times it has been possible that people were so involved in Christian activity that their, their families were not cared for. Was that honoring to God? We need to be very careful that we don't let even our religious activity take away from what God cares. Because Jesus then goes on to say, going back to the idea of the hand washing and the food laws, the things that make you spiritually clean is not the things that go into your mouth. So the food that you're eating, the unclean or clean, that's not the main issue. It's what inside your heart, your, your desire, your, your, the things that really matter to you, that's going to be the indicator of how you live. Verse 20, he says, what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of men's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a person unclean. We don't have to dig very far into, the, into this list to understand what he means. Theft is not just an action. Theft has come from a desire to take something that does not belong. Adultery is not simply an action. Adultery comes from a desire that has come that has not been dealt with, which has not been addressed, which is allowed to flourish and leads to destruction and difficulty. Malice comes. We see it in terms of its implications in terms of, of attacks of people, but it's come from somewhere. And Jesus is saying, you've got to look beyond the outer acti activity, and you've got to look and say, where's this coming from? Look into your hearts. How's your heart, folks, this morning? We've got to look inside us and say, what matters to us? Where's it coming from? And we're going to address this a little bit further as we go through. But Jesus says, the outward can look fine, but we've got to look beyond that and say, what's inside? What really drives you? What is your desire? Because that then erupts through in terms of the outward. So outward, not so important. Inward, hugely important so that the outward important 
can flow from things that are true and noble and not things that are evil. What's being built? Christian character. And we've really got to look at the heart. Who's the builder? I'm going to suggest to you that the builder is a rather unique partnership. It's a partnership of God with us. We've just been through the season of God with us, Emmanuel, haven't we? Where God becomes flesh in the person of Jesus. God is still with us in the person of His Spirit. And the process that we have got to, to deal with here, and we're going to look at a lot more detail of the, of the process, is a blend of my responsibility and God's ability. This is not simply a, a self-help routine where we're encouraged to brush ourselves up and turn over a new leaf and, you know, it's January, so we'll make some good resolutions. Simply trying to brush up our own conduct is not what Christian character is about. Because my ability, we're going to see a little bit further, is extremely limited. And I can only allow Christian character to develop if that is a work of God's Spirit. But we can't simply, you know, flip the other way and then say, well, it's all about God, it's not about me, um, and I'm available, and, and, and in a sense, switch our heads off. Because there are disciplines, there are choices that we've got to make, there are practices that are good to develop, where we've got to blend together my responsibility and God's ability. Romans 12 is the, is the passage that Neil quoted uh, in the email whenever uh, running through the series. And it's a, it's, it's a good example of this. Romans 12 starts in view of God's mercy. The ability to make choices only comes from the fact that because of God's mercy, and we've remembered it this morning, Jesus has paid my debt to set me free. We've sung this morning about, I am a child of God. Yes, I am. I'm a child of God. Well, can I hit pause and ask you this morning, that's a starting place. Are you? Are you a child of God? Because where we've got to start with here is, if we're developing Christian character, then stage one is becoming a Christian. And that isn't simply that we've been born in a Christian country, and I'm not even convinced that we would probably label our countries these days as Christian countries anyway. But that is about coming into a saving relationship with Jesus where we recognize our sin, recognize that Jesus paid the debt for our sin, and we ask him to become boss of our lives, Lord and master of our lives, and then something miraculous happens that the Spirit of God dwells within us, back to this unique partnership, God with us, the Spirit of God living in us, making us alive with him, which then gives us the ability to live as we should. So stage one, I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. Are you? Folks, if you're not, that's hugely important that you come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. Can I encourage you, if you're not already a Christian, 
to put your trust in Jesus. Then what we're talking about starts to make sense and you can move forward in view of God's mercy. Offer your bodies. This isn't sacrifice, sacrifice in the sense of, of, um, of, of physically killing someone and sacrifice. It's the idea of offering as one would a sacrifice, giving ourselves, our lives, our, our activities, our conduct, our hearts to Jesus, holy and pleasing. And the challenge is our responsibility not to conform to this world. So easy, isn't it? J.B. Phillips in his translation of these verses says, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. I think that's a powerful translation. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. It is so easy to conform to what is expected of us. But as Christians, we are called not to conform, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind and that could equally be translated heart. So this is the idea of heart, mind, soul, strength. Not squeezed into the world's mold, but by the power of the Spirit that is living in us as believers, being renewed with a new mindset. Who's the builder? A unique partnership of God with us. My responsibility, but God's ability. And then thirdly, what's the process? And we're going to spend a little bit of time as we look at this. Two things I suggest that we think about. Firstly, God's heart tests. We know about heart now. Um, so uh, you, you, this isn't a, a cardiac investigation. We're going to look at God's heart tests. And then we're going to look at something called sanctification. I debated for a while about putting that word up and, you know, in case you all turn off and go, here's a big religious word. Um, and, I, and I thought about um, using different words. And then I thought, no, it's a Bible word. We're going to put it up. We're going to explore it. And we're going to understand it. The idea of sanctification. So two things in the process, God's heart's tests and then sanctification. God's heart's te- heart tests. If we're serious We've got to be honest. We've got to look into our hearts. We've got to, to ask ourselves the question. We've got to examine ourselves and say, what, am I, what, what drives me? What is my, you know, what's my inmost desires and beings? Because if we don't do it, God will. Proverbs 17 uses a picture of the idea of, of, a, of a crucible of where uh, fire tests the purity of silver and gold. You know the idea, don't you? Um, a really heavy basin exists and the, and the gold or the silver is put in and it's heated up until it melts and, and, and so on. And the dross, the, the, the impurities come to the surface and, and they become clear. It looks okay until the heat goes on. And then when the heat goes on, the dirty stuff starts to appear. Well, that's true for us, isn't it? Sometimes when the heat goes on, the dirty stuff starts to appear. Because we live in a world where there is heat that comes on us. Um, The heat of criticism, the heat of suffering, the heat of illness, the heat of, of financial challenges. In those times, where's our hearts? Where are our choices? Where are the things that drives us? First Chronicles 29, 
the writer says, I know my God that you examine our hearts and you rejoice when you find integrity there. The idea of of true strength, of of integrity. I want to suggest this morning a good place to start as we think about the process of character under construction is to think about God's test of our hearts. If this morning God, who knows all, is looking through your appearance, looking at your heart, looking at what drives you, what, you know, the things that really matter to you, what does he find there? Is it the same stuff as everybody else? The nice car, the nice family, the nice clothes, the good lifestyle, the holidays. None of those things are wrong. None of those things are wrong. But is that what drives us? Is that what motivates us? Is that what makes us get up in the morning? Is that what we think about the last thing when we get to bed? What about when you wake up in the middle of the night? Are those the things that make us tick? That's the idea of heart. Or does God see people who want to honor him and who want to glorify him and who want to live for more than stuff, but to live for things that matter? God's heart tests. And then we come to the idea of sanctification. Sanctification, the idea is for something to be sanctified. And the simple wording on that is to be set aside for God. So the Old Testament situation is that there might have been particular um, utensils or particular people, and they were set apart, especially set aside, to say this is for God. And that's the idea of sanctification. Set aside to be holy, to be pure for God. And that's what you and I are chosen to be. We are chosen to be sanctified, but that's a process. It's a process of us allowing ourselves, going back to Romans 12, offering ourselves as living sacrifices, giving ourselves to God. And it's not a a one-off event. It is a process where day by day by day, we ought to be seeking to set ourselves aside for God. But this is where the thinking all joins together. My ability. No. God's ability. My responsibility to set myself aside for him. But God's ability that actually cleans up my life and builds my character. Because this is the work of the Spirit of God. You and I do not have the ability or the strength. But God does. Galatians 5, it's up on the screen. Uh, Hopefully you might see the, the wording there. Encapsulates the idea of this. Where Paul says to the Galatians, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Now let's hit pause. What's the sinful nature? Well, each of us is born with a nature that is sinful. We we automatically do things that we should not do. Anyone who has children or has ever met children knows that that sort of happens, doesn't it? You don't have to teach them to do the things that are wrong. It sort of comes naturally. Well, that's not necessarily a problem. It is an effect of of the fall, but God has provided for us 
the one who paid our debt to set us free, the one who allows us to become a child of God. Well, the Holy Spirit comes in and dwells within our lives if we allow him by becoming a Christian. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you're not free to carry out your good intentions. Paul here is painting a picture of a constant battle that exists in each one of us. It's important to recognize the battle. And on a daily, minute-by-minute basis, to choose who you're backing in the fight. Because to use the old analogy, if there's two dogs in the fight, the one who gets fed more is going to be the one who's stronger and is going to overcome. And you and I have got to choose in that battle, who are we feeding? Are we feeding our sinful nature that we let it go and, and in a sense, the, the choices that we make, because we do have responsibility for the choices we make, will feed the things that are unhealthy? Or do we choose by our practices, our choices, to feed the things that are healthy, to think of things that are noble, to read Scripture, to pray, to associate with Christians, to challenge one another, to do the things that are healthy? This is the battle of the two forces. Maybe you say, well, surely as a Christian, I ought to be freed from this. Well, no, it's not the reality. This is a fairly lengthy passage that I do encourage you to work through these two chapters, if you can, of Romans 7 and Romans 8. I've thrown it up on the screen. I know the text will be small, but um, uh, some excerpts of uh, these, these verses, and particularly I've highlighted um, some elements that are important for us. Paul says in Romans uh, 7 that we have died with Christ but we are united with the one who raised us from the dead. This is the power of the resurrection for Christians. This is not about my ability. It is the ability of the God who raised Jesus from the dead. And if he can raise Jesus from the dead, then he can bring life from our dead personalities and our dead sinfulness. So that, Paul says, As a result, we can produce a harvest of good deeds for God. This is not impossible. But it's about us making choices to live for Him. Paul talks about evil desires that produce a harvest of sinful deeds. If we're honest and we look at ourselves, we know our capability of producing unhealthy things. But we've got to make choices. And Paul says, well, I've tried to make choices. Verse 19, I want to do what's good, but I don't, I don't do, want to do what's wrong, but I do it anyway. Who's speaking here? The great apostle Paul. When's he speaking? He's speaking through his life um, as he's writing to the, to the friends in Rome. This is still relatively late on in his life. This is the great apostle who says, I know what I want to do, but I still keep messing up. Are you encouraged in a strange way at Paul's failures? I am. 
Because I look into my life and I know my failures. But Paul here is wrestling and he says, I want to do right, but I can't do it. He says in verse 21, I've discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what's right, I inevitably do what's wrong. And then he says in verse 24, oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin? And then he answers the question, thank God. The answer is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So, you bunch of miserable people, the answer for you and I is still the same as it is for Paul, that the answer is in Christ Jesus, that by His Spirit there is the ability to have our characters transformed to be Christ-like. And we're encouraged as we come to chapter 8 of Romans that there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus because you belong to Him. The power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you from the power of sin. Is that not something to rejoice? So verse 6, we're encouraged. Rather than letting our sinful nature control our mind that leads to death, we let the Spirit control our mind. And that leads to life and peace. It's choices, but it's the ability of the Spirit. Sanctification, set aside for God's glory, but with a strength that comes from the Spirit, the Spirit of God who raises from the dead. And in verse 26, at the end of it, when thinking about prayer, he says, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. Inward, outward, outward, inward, outward. God doesn't look at the appearance. He looks at our hearts. Well, how are our hearts transformed? By allowing the lordship of Jesus and the power of the Spirit to transform our characters, our minds, our hearts, that that might flow through into conduct. Paul writes to Titus, and you yourself must be an example to them by doing good works of every kind. And then I love this little phrase, let everything you do reflect the integrity and seriousness of your teaching. Little phrase there in the middle, a reflection of integrity, that character, integrity on the inside, can reflect outward into good works, that we might be example and indeed that the impact that there is on other people is substantial. And so, over the next number of weeks, we're going to look at some construction projects. We're going to think about keeping good company. We're going to think about caring for one another. We're going to think about living compassionately. And we're going to think about this idea of surviving the crucible, that there is character development through difficult times. We're going to think about watching what we watch, that the things that, go, that we feed ourselves with can be hugely important, and how we project ourselves, media, social media, identity. We're going to think about cultivating fruit of the Spirit. We're going to think about controlling our thoughts. And rather difficult, we're going to think about learning to forgive. Character under construction. There's some construction projects ahead of us. 
over the next few weeks. So the challenge, friends, as we think about this construction that we've got to deal with, is maybe to take the words of of 1 Peter, where 1 Peter says, you also, like living stones, have been built into a spiritual house, a chosen people. That's you, if you know Jesus. A royal priesthood, that's you. A holy nation. A people who belong to God. A child of God? Yes, I am. That you might declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And he says, you've got a responsibility. Abstain from sinful desires which war against your souls. But let the inward flow to the outward. Live such good lives among the unbelieving that though they accuse you, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits you. I'm excited as we enter into this new series, Character Under Construction. What's being built? Christian character. Who's the builder? It's a unique, response, a unique partnership of God with us. My responsibility, God's ability. What's the process? It's allowing God to examine our hearts and us examining our hearts. And then allowing him by his spirit to set him, us aside for his glory. And that by his spirit, that we might be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And that we therefore may be able to prove what God's good perfect will is for us. Let's pray. Father God, we pray that this morning as we come together, you might challenge our hearts. Father, if there are anyone who doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, that they may be spoken to by your Spirit and may want to hand over their lives to you to be boss of their lives. And to allow the Spirit of God to indwell and empower and to change their lives. And Father, for those of us who have already, perhaps many years ago, made that choice, that we would continue the process of daily allowing ourselves to be changed and molded, that we would be saved from being squeezed into the world's mold, but rather on a daily basis make choices that allow the Spirit of God to live through our lives, that our characters might be changed to be like Jesus' perfect character. And that in living that way, that we might bring glory to you and attract other people to come to know him. Be with us, we pray, in Jesus' name.